Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. The author of Hebrews encourages us to look to Jesus, and with good reason. As Corey Ten Boom said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. Here is part three of Cheryl's message titled, The Faith Marathon. I just love my mom. And the hardest part of moving to England was leaving my mom and dad. And I was there, I was homeschooling my children. And every time my parents would come over, it was just wonderful. It was just, it was heaven on earth. It was so fun. We would pick out places that we wanted to take them so my dad could pay for us because we couldn't afford it otherwise. And just all sorts of fun spots. I would pick out the best coffee place to take my mom to. And when they would leave, it would just be like my soul was ripped out. And all four of my kids and I, we would cry for days. We would just cry. And I remember this one time that my parents had left and I just said, Lord, tell me, tell me why we're doing this again. Why are we here so far from my parents? Why? And I was in my personal devotions in Colossians chapter three, and I opened it up. And when I read this in verse four, and when Christ who is our life, and it was, I'm doing this because the Messiah is my life. He's the reason I live and breathe and I came to planet earth. It's for the Messiah. And somehow looking unto Jesus at that moment, realizing that my life was in Jesus, it made it worthwhile. It took the pain and it made it purposeful. It it made it worth something. What is the sound of one hand clapping? (laughs) Corey Tinboom said this, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. Looking unto Jesus. Asaph, who wrote Psalm 73, was looking at the world and he was beginning to slow his pace. He said, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. And then, verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Asaph, Asaph. This, this great psalm writer, this great singer 
at the tabernacle. He said, you know what? I almost quit the race. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, he got his eyes on the wicked. He got his eyes on the world and he said, really, is it worth it? And the discouragement and the weariness in his soul began to set in until he went into the sanctuary, until he got a good look at Jesus. And then when he got a look at Jesus, he said, you know what? I'm not in the slippery place. My enemies are in the slippery place. I'm in such a better place because I've got the Lord. God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. In order to run this marathon of faith, we need to continually be looking unto Jesus. He is our goal. He is our objective. He is our champion. He is our coach. He is our strength. He is our power. Now, a coach invests in his disciples. A coach puts his time. He puts his energy. He gives them all his tricks, all his wisdom. He imparts all of his knowledge, all of his experience to his team, to those who are put under him. So the Lord Jesus is investing in us, his time, his wisdom, his skill, his attention, and he's watching us. There's not a coach in the world who doesn't exercise discipline over his team. Without restrictions, repetitions, practices, correction, consequences, there will never be change or improvement. Discipline is to make a player better and to bring him to his highest potential. Sometimes the best way to learn is by suffering the consequences of a wrong move or of a sin. I met Muhammad Ali years ago at a banquet we were both at, and he came right up to me and he said, I'm not going to hell. I said, okay, good. No, I'm not going to hell. And then he took out a book of matches. He said, every time I get tempted to sin, I light one of these and he lit it. And he's holding this match. He goes, and then I burn myself. And you're like, ha ah. He goes, because hell will be much worse than that. And then he walked away. People say, do you think he was saved? I don't know. I just know, don't play with matches. <laughs> Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12, when Solomon was speaking to his son about the way of wisdom and therefore preparing his son for the throne, exhorted him not to despise chastening. Don't hate it. Don't resent it. Accept it and use it to change. My mom used to quote this proverb. It's Proverb 1.8. And she would paraphrase it. But if I did that typical, you know, seven years old and up phrase, I know, I know, I know, I know. She would say, Cheryl, a fool hates instruction. She got me there. I didn't want to be a fool. So I would listen. Because I didn't want to be called a fool. I didn't want to be thought of as a fool, especially by your mother. I didn't want to be no fool. So I would listen. She'd get me every time with that one. Cheryl. A full heights instruction. I don't know. I don't know. Tell me, tell me. It just would write my attitude. You know, I remember my mother loved hospital corners. You know what a hospital corner is? You know, on a, on a bed, when she made the bed, she would get the, it was like so perfect. 
her mother had been a nurse, her adopted mother had been a nurse. So her bed corners were just like perfect. And she'd be like, Cheryl, watch me. You know, you need at least three inches going under the mattress. And I mean, I mean, my mother practically measured it. She knew it perfectly. And I'd be like, this lesson again. And she'd be like, Cheryl, a full height's instructions. Okay, mom, show me again. How do you do this? I remember she taught me how to iron. I mean, my mom was amazing. She taught me how to iron. And you know, I watched a friend the other day and she just grabbed a shirt. She went out at it really aggressively. I'm like, what are you doing? There's a right way and a wrong way to iron. You start with the collar band. Then you do the collar. Then you do the yoke. You might want to take notes on this. <laughs> then you go to the sleeve. You know, you go to the cuff. Then you go to the sleeve. Then you go to the, the panels in the front and then the back. And you, why do you do it that way? Because if you do it any other way, those things that you've already ironed will get wrinkled again. This is progressive ironing taught by Kay Smith. A full hate's instruction. You guys better take notes. But I remember that she took me and she taught me. She taught me how to pick out vegetables at the market. You know, um, this is what you're looking for the color, the texture, all of that. And I listened. I, I'm great at picking out carrots to this day. Too bad I don't like them, but I'm really good at picking them out. We are, you know, but sometimes I would get it wrong. I would get it wrong. My mom would say, you didn't start with a collar, did you? You didn't start, you didn't do the cuff before the sleeve. How she knew these things, I don't know, but I think it had to do with the wrinkles in the shirt. Not quite sure. But we are to accept it, embrace it, and learn from it. Chastening is purposeful. It's not just to punish and go, eh, you did it wrong. No, God doesn't do it like that. In fact, we're told that in Isaiah that God does not afflict willingly. He's got a purpose, and it's to bring out our potential. Chastening is an indication of God's care. I never, ever chastened anyone else's child. Their behavior was the fault of their parents. But I chastened my kids because they were a reflection of me. They were a reflection of Brian. As a child, I never got away with anything. That's part of being Chexmas's daughter. I lived in this fishbowl existence, always watched, always scrutinized. You'd think it would have been so good, only privately. But publicly, there was this constant scrutiny. And I remember one time, this, this girl was sitting next to me. And she was saying like the meanest things, right at junior high camp. And she was like, you know what? I don't think they, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was just like constant. I was ignoring her, ignoring her. And finally I turned to her and I said, will you just shut up? And the counselor said, Cheryl, oh, and I got taken out. I got prayed with. I had people laying hands on me. <laughs> then they're like, we're sorry, but we have to tell your dad that you said shut up. I'm like, and they're saying, and she, the girl who was that, she's like, gotta hurt my feelings. They're like, oh, you poor thing. I always got caught. I've never been able to get away with a bad attitude or a bad habit. Even my kids would call me on things. Nothing. I remember being in the tent. I had just made the girls' athletic team at my junior high. 
and I was passing notes to my girlfriend and talking, and I got this note. Will the girl in the red jacket please be quiet so we can hear Pastor Chuck preach? I was the girl in the red jacket. And I remember like, you know, hiding that note, throwing it away. And my mom and dad were sitting in the car and they start talking about people who talk out loud while dad was trying to preach. And I remember saying, I'd never do that. And my mom turned and said, wouldn't you? And I knew she knew. I knew that person that wrote me a note was a tattletale. And they had already gone to my parents. And I remember my mom said, honey, you can't get away with it because we love you so much. You can't get away because the Lord Jesus loves you so much. Because you're his daughter. So the standards are higher. The pressure is more. Not because you're unloved, but because you're loved. Not because you have no potential, but because God sees potential in you. If you're able to get away with evil, if you're able to get away with sin, if you're able to get away with a bad attitude, that's not a good sign. That's not promising. Don't congratulate yourself on that one. Let me tell you, if you're able to get away with it, I am more loved than you are. If you can get away with sin, if you can hide it and nobody sees and you're never caught, that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing. That means maybe you're not saved. Maybe you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus because those who are legitimately the daughters of God get caught. We always get caught. We never get away with anything because we're loved, because we're adored, because God sees potential in us, because there's a promise he wants to make sure that we get, that he wants to fulfill. Others can get away with it. Mm -mm, We can't. We're the daughters of God. We're totally legit. And we cannot get away. Chastening is an indication of God's care. Where there is no chastening, there's a sign that no one cares. And that child has no parent. God's chastening is always restorative. And it's always a sign of his love. It's a sign of legitimacy. It's a sign that he sees potential and the surety of the promises that he has for us. He is ensuring that we receive and qualify for all the good things he has for us. It's a sign that he is training us for peaceable fruit, that peaceable fruit of righteousness. Now, we all now know that it's not easy to be corrected. We hate to be corrected. We hate to deal with the consequences of our actions. We all hate chastening. And it never seems to be joyful at the time that it's happening. I remember we used to do the most um, rigorous exercise class. And I don't know why we did it. There were three of us. Actually, it was this friend of ours taught it. Um, Her husband worked at Camp Pendleton and would teach the other soldiers 150 ways to kill men with your bare hands. And then she did the exercise part of it. She trained Marines in Hawaii and she offered this class. And she's like, oh, Cheryl, come. And I don't know why. I think because I paid for it. I felt like I made a commitment. And I was with two other women and we were like dying. We hated that class. We 
We liked her, but we hated that class so much. I mean, we hated it, but we all three showed up every week, twice a week, we showed up. And as soon as it was over, we went and got coffee mochas with the whipped cream and pumpkin scones. We rewarded ourselves for going to that class. But you know what? There was a reward for doing that class besides the mochas. You know what's so funny? We'd always get skinny mochas with whipped cream. You know, there's something wrong with that. No chastening seems to be joyful at the present, but grievous, nevertheless, or painful. You know, every exercise, you know, what is it that the famous Jane Fonda used to say? No pain, no gain. You know, we're always got to push ourselves just a little bit more. It does not seem to be joyful, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I found my reaction to chastening has to do with the pride of my heart. If I am in a preenful place, I don't know what preenful means, but it's something that you should really look up. If I am in a prideful place, when I'm chastened, I resent it, I despise it, I'm ashamed, I'm condemned. But if my heart is in the right place, I laugh at my own folly. I'm able to cooperate. I'm able to change. I'm able to learn. And I'm able to progress and do better because of it. And what are we supposed to do with chastening? Well, it tells us we're to strengthen the hands that hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for our feet so that what is lame will not be dislocated so we don't get worse, but we get better. Chastening helps us to get it right. It's the worst thing when you get in the habit of doing something the wrong way. Have you ever done that? I remember my son holding his spoon the wrong way. You know, I think he held it like this. And I was like, no, honey, you got to hold it like this. And I told him, sit up straight, put your spoon like this. He got this horrified look on his face. Horrified. He was 10. Horrified look. He looked at me. And I'm just trying to get him to hold his spoon and his fork the right way. And all of a sudden he screamed out, Dad, help! Mom's trying to teach me manners! He said, I'm not trying to feminize you. He's trying to teach you how to hold a fork and a knife. But Brian came down and said, Son, these are some of the things that real men need to learn. Thank you, honey. But it's the worst when you get in the habit of doing it the wrong way and find out that the way that you're doing it could cause injury and you need to be retrained in order not to hurt yourself. And it can be awkward to do it the right way. Have you ever had that where you're doing an exercise and it's working for you? And, and all of a sudden you realize, no, that's not the way you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to do it like this. And you're like, oh, no wonder it was too easy. Years ago, we got the Brita water filter and I'm putting the water in and it's coming right through and Brian tries it and goes, there's no change in this water. It tastes just the same. I'm like, oh no, I totally taste a change. Brian, I can't believe it. Mm, mm, totally tastes different. And then I'm pouring it and this person says to me, what, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing the filter. They're like, you're totally doing it the wrong way. It's not even screwed in. Your water has no difference. I'm like, oh, I had to learn to do it the right way. Let me just tell you one more story and then I promise I'll finish. We were in England and the English are really big on the proper a pot of tea, right? And so as a housewarming present, this English couple 
came over and they brought me an electric kettle. You know, that's, it heats up, you just plug it in, you turn it on, heats the water up. I was so excited. So they said, oh, Cheryl, make us a pot of tea. So I stuck the tea bags in the electric kettle, thinking that's how you did it. And they looked at each other. I mean, they were like, like, this is horrid. This is terrible. We've got an American on our hands. And she said, Cheryl, dear, I'm going to teach you to make a proper pot of tea. And the first thing she did is, and never, never put the tea bags in the electric kettle. And she, she went over, and what you do is you take a, your ceramic teapot, and you run it under the hot water. You put the hottest water in it that you possibly can, and you let it set while you heat up your other water. Then you pour out the hot water, you put the two tea bags in, and you pour the hot water in with that. And then you have another thing of hot water just in case the tea gets too strong. And you keep adding that to your, your, already, your already steeped pot of tea. So I, I do know how to do a proper pot of tea. But I had to learn, I mean, after doing it wrong. I got it wrong before I can get it right. And how many of us have to get it wrong before we can get it right? That's why we need discipline. That's why we need correction. So we can get it right. In John 15, 1 through 2, Jesus tells us that God prunes every branch that bears fruit. You know, perhaps you're being pruned. Perhaps you're being chastened. Maybe because God just wants to bring out more fruit. And he needs to cut back certain branches that can't bear fruit. You know, maybe there's something that you really like to do. And all of a sudden, it's, it's as if God's saying, that's not for you, daughter. And you're like, but I love that. And he said, but I've got something new. And I'm going to prune that part of your life so I can push you into what I really have for you. The pruning, the discipline, it's in order to make the branch healthier and more productive. God only disciplines to protect, preserve, prevent injury, present us with fulfillment of the promise of faith, push us to our potential. That's the only reason that he disciplines. It's for our good. But in order to receive all the benefits of this discipline, of this coaching, we must become participants in the marathon of faith. God has provided us with all we need to complete the race and win the prize. He has given us inspiring examples of ordinary people who are just like us, but who have successfully run the marathon. He has convicted us by his Holy Spirit about the weights. He has given us a list of sins to avoid. He has provided us with the best coach ever, the champion Jesus. He has given us the perfect course individually that he created and designed for each one of us. And he is providing all the discipline and the training we need to become the best runners in the marathon of faith. And as we cooperate with the divine coach and use the resources he has provided, we will be strengthened in faith. We will receive the motivation and stamina to continue to run. We will recover from bouts of weariness and discouragement and respond positively and productively to discipline. And we will, we will receive the promises of God. It's not time to drop out of the race. It's time to take off those stilettos 
or those construction boots and get your gospel shoes on because God wants to bring to us his promises. Are you weary? Are you discouraged? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's already run it. He's already won it. And he is able to supply you with everything you need to win this. The life of faith can be difficult. God has provided us with all we need to complete the race and win the prize. He's given us Jesus. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. And because of him, we can run the race and be victorious. But we need to keep our eyes set on him. We may get discouraged. We may get weary. But we can look to Jesus and find hope and strength, knowing he's already won it for us. As we look to Him, He is able to supply everything we need to run and win the race. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at the new covenant as we continue our series, Our Great Faith, in the book of Hebrews with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.